Use the website forward slash sovereign to find all the previous messages. You can find that there at the bottom now. All systems go. Um, uh, past uh, sermons and everything are there as well. This morning, uh, toy soldiers, and you'll see why as we get underway. If you haven't got it open in front of you, it might help to have it open in front of you just to prove that I'm not making it up, and it'll just reinforce something of the story because it's a little bit hard to get your uh, head around. So you ready? We'll jump right in in verse 1 of chapter 4. Here it is for all you craft lovers. Here was me thinking that craft was something of the devil, and it's there right in the Bible. Here we go. Now, son of man, that's Ezekiel. That's the man that this whole book is about. And he's in a foreign land where he's been taken as a captive under an enemy empire. And he's trying to work out where is God and what's God wanting to do and why has this happened to them. Now, Ezekiel, son of man, take a clay tablet, put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Lots of clay tablets around that time. They look something like that. They'd be used for building, also be used for drawing or scribbling on or inscribing on. And draw a map of Jerusalem, which probably looked a bit like that, although that's a map, but not of Jerusalem. But you get the idea. So he's making something, making like a board with a map of Jerusalem on it. And then verse 2, he's told exactly what to do. Lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to it. And basically set up camp with battering rams and so on. This is boy heaven for a wet Saturday afternoon. This is a ball if you're into that sort of thing. Get Ezekiel, Ezekiel get out your toy soldiers, your battering rams, paint them, make them, set them all up around this kind of board that looked like a game of risk and set up the uh, the way it would look as if Jerusalem was being held under siege. Every boy has all that kind of stuff in his bedroom and if you older boys still have that stuff in your bedroom then get a life, it's time to grow up. So picture the scene, Jerusalem is there under siege siege and people are gathering around wondering what the message is. It wasn't that unusual for Jerusalem to be under siege. That had happened before so in and of itself it wasn't too alarming because they knew they were at war. They knew they'd been conquered by by a bigger more powerful empire but then verse 3 it all um, heats up. You can imagine as Ezekiel gets hold of an iron pan, a frying pan, so he picks up something from the kitchen and wields it, you can imagine the crowd of Jewish people that are gathering around Ezekiel going, yes, he's going to swipe away the enemy, the army, that he's going to smash down the, the, the sieges and the battle rams and all of that stuff. But something different happened. In fact, the opposite happened, and it was to come as a huge shock to them. Take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face, as in in anger, turn your face in aggression towards it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. As they watched, expecting Ezekiel to tell the story of how God was going to swipe away the enemy, they actually see Ezekiel telling the story of God himself being on the enemy's side. Instead of God being in the city of Jerusalem protecting them, they are to discover that God is outside of the city, actually on the side of the enemy attacking them rather than being for them. There is a really profound question to answer. Why was God 
doing this. All through the Bible, it talks about God being with you and God being on your side. But in this moment, it talks about God being against them. In fact, you can find those very words in these chapters. I am against you, says the Lord. Well, to answer that question, Ezekiel's acting days are only just beginning. Verse 4. And he lies on one side, his left side, and put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself, and you're to bear the sin for the number of days you lie on your side. So he's got this risk board in front of them, or on a table, or on the floor, or outside in the street, wherever it is, and he lies down next to this risk board on his left, left side. And he lies like this for about 390 days. 390 days. You've heard that, haven't you? 390 days. That's a long time, isn't it? To lie like this. And then he gets up and he, and he lies on his right side for how many days? 40. That's a piece of cake, isn't it? After you've done the other one for 390, 40. That's, that's easy. And he's telling visually the story of what's going on. He lies on his left side for 390 days, symbolizing 390 years where the people of God have sinned and rebelled and gone their own way and done their own thing, right back to the time when Solomon was king, all the way up to this particular time, 390 years, when the people have done what the heck they like, basically, all but a few little moments of genius in the middle of it. And then he lies on his right side for 40 days, uh, representing 40 years, which in biblical times is a whole generation, to say that a generation will be lost in exile because of the 390 years of sin. And it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird because we know that God is with us and for us. And and here in these moments, God is saying um, that actually, I'm not for you in these moments. I am against you. Why? Because for 390 years, you have lived wickedly. And God is saying, enough is enough. Now, Some of you will be thinking, well, that's only what I would expect in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament God is angry and vicious, and he's always out to judge people. And and that's what we've popularly come to understand the Old Testament story to be all about. But actually, nothing further could be from the truth in so many ways. I remember my mum, the first time she read the Bible from beginning to end, a long time ago now, I remember her overriding impression, and it made an impression on me as a young boy. Her overriding impression, when she read it from the beginning to the end, through the Old Testament, was how amazingly God, how merciful and patient and loving and kind he was with his people. 390 years. Think about this with me for a moment. When we read about brothels, and sex trafficking, and drug pushers, and murders, and all kinds of perversion, we think someone needs to stop that, don't we? We think, if I could, if I knew how to stop that, I would stop that. We don't stop it because we don't know how. Yet after 390 years of that, God says, enough's enough, I'm going to stop it. And people go, that's a bit odd. thought God was kind and merciful. And we miss the whole context of what's going on. 
After a generation after generation of things going belly up and down the pan and whatever metaphor you choose to use because of people's waywardness and wickedness, God says, I am going to say today, enough is enough. And people say God's mean and he's unforgiving and he's hot-headed and he's angry. He was patient for 390 years. Now, some of us as parents can't be patient for 390 milliseconds. And we say God's the one who's got an anger problem. 390 days on the left side, 40 days on the right side, symbolizing a whole generation will be lost. And he tied himself up in ropes to show this is going to happen. This is, a, this is just the God said it. This is just the way that it's going to be. Suddenly, Ezekiel's acting career takes another step up in the story. He's moved from a, a 10-minute sketch uh, mapping out Jerusalem to lying on his side uh, for uh, a whole year, in fact, more than a year, 390 days. Uh, and then verse 9 tells us what he had to eat while he was uh, lying on his side, left side and then right. Uh, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and, and spelt. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a kind of balanced diet. But then look at verse 10, how much he's allowed to eat of this balanced diet. 230 grams of bread, 6 litres of water. It's enough to keep a 30-year-old man alive. Ezekiel was 30. It's enough to keep a 30-year-old alive at the level of starvation. So as he's been lying in front of the city of Jerusalem, he's been physically wasting away. His body fat reserves have been used up. He's getting gaunt and thin and weak and so on through the whole of this time. Exactly what would happen to the inhabitants of Jerusalem when the city was besieged. Uh, to do some cooking, verse 12, uh, on a fire of human poo. That's what it says. Who wants to be a prophet now? All the prophets in the house, please stand up. Not surprisingly, Ezekiel protests and says, and says, I don't mind cooking stuff. I'll go for cowpat, but not human poo. That sounds like a really good deal, right? The double-edged message. Really important. What's God saying to Ezekiel as he, as he lives this out, as he, as he lives out the drama for a year or more? God's saying, look, look, the people in exile are, are full of uh, all kinds of uncleanliness. And as you look at that meal that's been cooked, even on human excrement, so that's just disgusting. That's the situation where these people have ended up and things need to change. One last bit of the drama, verse 1 of chapter uh, 5. So he's been weak and he's been lying on his side, left and right. He's built this model of Jerusalem and so on. Um, his hair's been growing through all of that time. And then God tells him to shave all the hair of his body using a razor sharp sword. Have you ever tried shaving women with a sword? Or men even with a sword? So he, he shaves off all his hair and it falls to the ground and he's cut, sharp sword, bleeding, impossible to do it without grazing yourself. His body's weak and pathetic and lifeless. His whole uh, uh, frame is a, is, a, is a shadow of its former glory. He has become a living metaphor, a living picture, a living message of what happens when people turn their back on God. And he stands there. And as the people look at him, they see their own lives reflected in him as if he was a mirror. First thing to think about 
If I go my own way and do my own thing, is that really how my life ends up? If I, if I go my own way and do my own thing, is that really how my life ends up? Pretty much, the Bible says. Pretty much, without the breath that we looked at last week, the, or whenever that was, was that last week? Or, yeah, last week. The, the breath of God, the life of God within us, we begin to shrivel up. And what Ezekiel is acting out, is living out, is that if you spend your days gasping for the breath of God and not breathing him in, you end up like this pathetic figure of a man. If you spend the years of your life uh, uh, doing your own thing, you end up weak, emaciated, uh, a, a pale reflection of what you could otherwise be. But there's also a a really important message in this chapter for us that know the life of God, discover the life of Jesus, know what it is to come back to him and receive the the nourishment that that, that uh, that we need. And that's that Ezekiel had become the message. Can you see what Ezekiel had done? Through the last 18 months, there in Babylon... Ezekiel himself didn't just speak the message. In fact, he doesn't say anything until a few verses after the beginning of chapter 5. So he, he, he speaks the message by embodying it, by living it, by being the message. In other words, the, the message itself had become bigger than just his, excuse me, just his life. The word, the message, to think about it another way, had become in Ezekiel flesh. Does that ring any bells? The message had become flesh. Not in a wink to who? Who? Jesus. Jesus. Must be Jesus. Or a squirrel. This part of the service is likely to be Jesus. He, he, the message the story that God wants to communicate to those people, uh, that became embodied, became flesh, became real in the life of Ezekiel. uh, That's a real challenge for us as a church as we think about what it means for us to be God's messengers. If I'm to be a messenger where God has placed me, whether I'm Linda in Colchester University or somebody else, somewhere else, if I'm a a messenger for God and I see this messenger in the Old Testament, prophet meaning a spokesman for God, a proclaimer of God's truth, I see this messenger in the Old Testament living out the message, then there is this question. Is my life an embodiment, a physical example, a real flesh and blood story of the message that I want people to hear? There are a number of challenges. For example, as a messenger, do I live it? As a messenger, do I live it? Because as messengers, if we take Jesus as the example, who was the word, the the message of God that became flesh, became a a human being, 
uh, and uh, Ezekiel was a nod and a wink to, to that kind of way that God wants to communicate. I want to tell you something really important. So Ezekiel is going to live this out so that the story overtakes his life. Is the story overtaking our lives? Is the message in flesh and blood through the way that we live? Because as messengers, we must live it. So there's a question for you to ask yourself. What is your life message? If there is one thing that you want to say to the world, what is it? If you've got one opportunity to broadcast the message to anyone, anywhere, what would that message be? You've got one shot, the message, what is it? Just think for a moment. What's your message? What, what, what would you love the world to hear from you? What would you love to say if you had the opportunity and the confidence and the boldness and whatever else you might need to say? What's your life message? When you get to the very end and they say, Barney, you don't just want the dates, do you? Do you know? Barney, ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum. You want something else really there, don't you? What's what's the mess? What what do you want there? What's your life message? Now turn to the person next to you and, and share it with them. It's not personal, is it? This is a life message. This is something you're about to say to the whole world. So don't have stage fright about telling the person uh, next to you like you're bearing your soul. What is the what is the message that you'd love to communicate to the world? Okay, as you think about your life message, what actions, what actions this last week or this coming week give other people glimpses that that's what your life message is? Do do, do you understand? So in what ways does your life at the moment capture the message that you want to communicate uh, to, to others? that you kind of genuinely need to turn to each other and have a little thing if you're going to talk about it. What, 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 what actions reveal that, that that's what your message is? And if that's, that's hard, because it is hard, what actions could give a clue that that's your life message? See, you see, if your life message, for example... If your life message, for example, is that um, uh, God has a heart for the poor, that, then do people see your heart, your life being given for to the poor? If your life message is that God brings freedom and transformation, where do people see that freedom exhibited in your life? If, if your life message is that God can forgive whatever has been done against him. In what ways do people see that message in the way that you forgive and love people that are against you? And maybe the life message thing was was kind of too big, too out there. Think about something that you want to communicate with somebody. You're a parent and you wish your child understood dot, dot, dot. You're a child 
and you wish your mum or dad understood dot dot dot. You're a friend and you wished your friend understood dot dot dot. You're a neighbour and you wished your neighbour understood dot dot dot. Think about those things and, and, and what's the answer? Well, when you long for your neighbour to be something, then you be that neighbour. You be the kind of neighbour that you are. I want a welcoming neighbourhood to live in. Well, you be the welcoming neighbour. I want a friend in whom I can trust. Well, then you be that trustworthy friend. I want a family that worships Jesus. Then you worship Jesus and so on and so forth. Well, what is it as you think about what you're longing for others around you to know then how are you going to live that out? You see, so often what we do is that we try and sum it up in as few words as possible and then tell them, because then we've done it. And Ezekiel could have told them till he was blue in the face and he wouldn't have got their attention. But suddenly he lived it out. And they could somehow see it, touch it, feel it, engage with it because the message had taken on flesh, taken on human reality, taken on human form. I'm longing for something, 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 then let's be that kind of someone, that kind of person. What's your life message? Several other things that we could have reflected upon uh, this morning as we take this passage away and, and, and work with it. Uh, in our small groups, if you're not connected with a small group or a missional community, we'd love to get you connected uh, this morning. I'll say more about that at the end. But as we work through this passage this week, I want it, for, for Ezekiel, he, he kind of sacrificed the whole of his life for the message. He, everything about his life changed in order to communicate the message that God had given him. In what ways? In what ways do we sacrifice in order to communicate the message that we believe God has given us? Let's pray.